We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Good evening, everyone. My name is Mike Cosentino. I am one of your esteemed co-hosts, along with my dear friend and yours, Dolomite Dave Martinez, D2. That sound you and our listeners heard. It is time. Welcome to Peachy's Pub, my friend. Another Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Cheers to you. I hope you're doing all right. Yes, cheers. I'm having a, uh, what am I having? Uh, what is it? Oh. Uh, I can't remember now. Uh, something on Ponce. What is it called? It's an IPA. Night, Night on Ponce. Night on Ponce, yes. Wow, that's a, a popular one. I believe that's three taverns. Good thing we have some help. Well done. We should have had a prize for anybody who could have done that. I would have said you were hitting intentionally just to make the prize pool that much more I should have just looked at the can. I should have just looked at the can. Well, yeah, it's awesome. So here's, here's a trivia question. Let's hear it. Who else has an IPA named after Ponce in Atlanta? What other brewery? Wow. That is a stumper for me. I can't Anybody answer. New Realm. I don't know, I'm guessing. Torch Top. Hmm. Wow. Okay. I thought the New Realm business uh, guess was really good. And who was yeah. the answer, Bob? It's Torch Top Brewery. Oh, Torch Top. Yes, right there on Ponce. Yeah. So there's yep. a shout out for all of you who are yep. listening and thinking, what is it that I am going to have this evening? There is a shout out for a night on Ponce from Three Taverns and Torch Top with their own Ponce reference. What is the full name of that? It's uh, the name of the IPA is Hops de Leon. Very creative. I am impressed. And I know everybody will be impressed with our featured pub runners this evening. We have gone to great lengths to make sure we bring you world-class commentary. We have outdone even ourselves this evening. It is my pleasure and good fortune to be able to introduce to you a couple of friends of mine, and certainly those who are friends of our industry and this lifestyle that we all embrace. First, introducing Rose. For those of you who know him, is the founder and the head coach at Dynamo Multisport. Been doing great work over there since 2008. And as you might even just running. He has a background in swimming, cycling, and certainly all things triathlon. If you've heard his name recently, some of those who were at the Olympic marathon trials were athletes of his, and he is someone we're looking forward to digging into because of, if nothing else, this season that we're in, where we are trying to get the most out of ourselves, maybe out of our training. Oftentimes it requires a discipline that doesn't always allow us to have our training partners right next to us. And certainly he has known how to get his athletes to do just that for much longer than this season of Corona. Alongside Coach Rose, we also 
have the director of high performance at the Atlanta Track Club. We did mention the Olympic marathon trials. Coach Eric Heinz, he, as that director of high performance, certainly knows about athletes who are performing at the right time and at their best, but more than just with world-class Olympic caliber athletes. He and I first got to know each other in the high school ranks as a coach. He has won, get this, 24 team state championships. He's had runners up. He is doing that in both cross country and track and field. He also has had 32 individual state champions. He knows how to get athletes to get the most out of themselves for sure. He is going to share some of his wisdom with us this evening as well. Good evening, gentlemen. It is so good to have you here. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. Thanks, Mike. Well, and of course, anyone who wants to ask these gentlemen a question, whether it is audibly or through the chat box, know that it's open. We will be keeping an eye and an ear out for you. But first, guys, I think this is a predictable place to start. And yet at the same time, I think there's application beyond this corona season that we're in. And without really having any confidence that we could accurately indicate what the future looks like, we know now that we're doing more on our own, perhaps, than what we ever have, whether that is our training, whether it is other parts of our life, including our parenting, perhaps our workplace. We are just having to hold ourselves more accountable than what we maybe have in the past when we've had training partners, when we've had supervisors, when we've had others who are part of our personal life. And now, as we ask this question, I would ask you to go deep, perhaps, in your background of what you might say are those tips that you could share with us when somebody has to be most accountable for themselves, how they can get the most out of themselves. A secret trick or perhaps a tip or a common trait you've seen from your athletes. Coach Heinz, I'm going to start with you. How do I hold myself more accountable? and make sure my discipline is at its peak when I need it to be. I, I go old school in this, and uh, this is both for myself and for athletes that I've worked with, and you have to make your efforts, your training publicly, even if you're not running into people regularly. You know, so when, it, when I was coaching high schoolers, uh, you know, our, our kids were flying all over the country, going all over the map on these vacations and the like, but they still needed to get their work done. So how, how would you hold their feet to the fire when they weren't seeing people regularly? It was through communal posting of the work that they've been doing. So in that case, you know, we had a, a message board where folks uh, posted their mileage each week, their runs each week, so you could see where you stacked up against your teammates. Now, not all of us have a team to compete on per se. So look to what your your favorite Facebook group is. You know, your your buddies that you used to run or walk with uh, regularly. What does that text thread or group me look like in terms of putting out there what you are doing? But for me personally, who have, you know, I've shied away from social media and other things for most of my life. It's as simple as having a chart that I have at my house. And uh, this is a true story. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I created this old school chart, uh, and I would I would cross off a day that I did my running, and if I also did some type of supplemental work, I would fill in the day. And when I filled up a certain number of those, 
I allowed myself to go to Big Peach and buy some new running gear. Uh, true, true story. It was Big Peach Brookhaven. I did this like three months in a row, and I got uh, some great new kits. Actually, uh, I think you guys had just started carrying Tracksmith at that time, um, and that kept me accountable. It, it was enough because I had that. Uh, it's stupid, but it was posted on my my refrigerator, you know. So my wife would see it. My Kids could see it, and you saw that little thing crossing up, you know, as you moved up. And the science behind it is pretty straightforward in that you get a little bit of a dopamine hit every time you cross off one of those boxes, and you feel like you have accomplished something, even when it was a four-mile easy run or if it was a little bit of that core work. Uh, your body is being reinforced, your mind is being reinforced that you just got something done. So it really is a, a helpful piece to forming that habit that is so important with training. So for me, it's that public accountability, even if we're stuck at our house uh, with, with our old mates that we used to run and walk with, and then that display that you actually have to physically cross off. And I, I love Strava, I love my Polar Flow app, I love all of that, but there's something about that pencil and paper that gives you that little bit of a hit that makes us all run junkies. <laughs> Man, that yeah. is awesome. I love your style it's of saying what it is that we need to hear and then reinforcing it, because I wrote in my notes, make your training targets public, very cool, you, and re you reinforce that, and then visible, truly visible indications, both with the media, that we have access to as well as what you referred to as old school. So easy to do that where you've got visible to yourself indications. And then I also love what you said, you know, you always hear the carrot or the stick, whether it's a trip to Big Peach Running Company or something else, you gave yourself that carrot. And of course you had evidence that indicated you had earned that reward that you had set yourself up for. And that is super cool. Matthew Rose, what say you coach relative to accountability and the discipline that quite frankly, I know we all need. None of us figure it out all the time and are 100% committed to doing it right each time. What would you add to what Coach Heinz meant? You know, Eric, I, I think what resonates with me, what you said there about, you know, going a little bit old school, going analog, if you will, about having your your pen and paper out. With, with our athletes, you know, what, what we try to communicate with them is, if you're looking for that additional motivation, go ahead. You have you have what the workout's supposed to be on your cell phone. You have it on your computer. But go ahead and write out exactly what the instructions are for the day. That, that additional step of committing it to pen and paper creates another layer of accountability to oneself that you just don't get through a digital medium. And so, you know, if, if, that's, if that's something that will create an additional layer of accountability, so be it, it's great. You know, I, I think one of the, well, I think we're all looking for silver linings with this time here that we're doing so much of our training in isolation and primarily triathletes do train in isolation. Um, regardless but one of the silver linings here is if, if you can't have a group workout being able to train on your own and really perform uh, with a level of consistency uh, where you're you're hitting you're hitting singles most days you know you're not trying to swing for a home run every single time you go out the door but you're hitting singles most days 
being consistent in the work that you are doing, that's, that's invaluable, you know, and that's, you know, if there's any sort of secret to endurance sport, it's, it's just being consistent. Well, we're going to stay here because I set that up with your introduction, Matthew, because I recognize how many of your athletes, and certainly you mentioned triathletes specifically, are oftentimes training by themselves, where maybe this season doesn't look all that much different for that man or woman who maybe if he or she doesn't even know whether the race will be on in the fall, is still training as if I'm going to be ready regardless. And their training doesn't look that much different because they'd have been doing it by themselves anyway. So saying that, what are some of those common characteristics that you see or have seen in your athletes or perhaps from your own training that you think make those athletes great because they are disciplined, they are able to put in that work day in and day out, even with perhaps some missed workouts here and there, they are consistent. Are there certain characteristics that you would say, whether it has to do with their training or their personality or their targets that would be good for all of us to know about? Yeah, you know, Mike, that's a great question. I, I think there, in my mind, there's two types of people as it relates to to athletics. Um, there are the types of people who fit athletics into their lives, and there are other people who fit their lives around their athletics. And I'm not saying one's better than the, than another. All right. I, what I am saying though is, high performers are looking for reasons to train. And they will fit and they will they will adjust their lives around their training schedule in order to make that workout happen. Mm. Um, now, that being said, that can also bite you in the rear, because I think we all know the type A athlete, you know, particularly high performers, high performers. Sometimes the, the, the number one role of a coach is to take the shovel out of someone's hands because they keep on digging a hole. They're doing all that work and they're just digging a hole. And sometimes that hole gets deeper and deeper, and deeper. They're working themselves into a major fatigue rut, a major fatigue hole. And sometimes our job as coaches is just to take that shovel out of their hands, say, hey, pump the brakes. So it, it, it kind of cuts both ways that that mentality of I'm going to find a way to get this workout in can can often lead to some some overreaching and then worst case scenarios, overtraining and, and injury. Well, and, and that is obviously one of those things that regardless, you know, for me and for D2 at our age, it'd be easy to say, well, we're in that age group now that wondering whether we're going to get injured perhaps is a thought that happens with every step we take. But if we look at that as perhaps unfair, even to ourselves or what D2 would say, at least to him, Coach Heinz, I know with your background in youth sports, that instead of some of that isolation that, of course, as adults, we get all of us during this season and that triathletes are known for, you oftentimes had the whole team out training together for long periods of time. Let's think about this upcoming season. We've gone ahead and forgotten about any advice not to date or timestamp our podcast. This is during the corona season that we're having this conversation. For all these athletes that, quite frankly, today in the state of Georgia were given a license that with very 
strict guidelines and standards in place could begin their conditioning. What is it that you would tell those cross-country athletes to be thinking about to get the most out of their season, knowing that in many instances, they're either doing it by themselves or in much, much, much smaller groups than what they did last year at this time? Any guidance you would give them based on all the state champions you've had and all the teams you've been around? So I think Coach Rose is is spot on in many cases, and I want to just say, you know, the loneliness of the long distance runner uh, preceded the loneliness of the triathlete, I think, because mm-hmm. uh, people have been running solo for a while here, and there is something about that uh, that I, I think that we've all experienced, and certainly we're experiencing right now in these these very different times. Uh, but I I want to echo what Coach Rose says, and at this point, it's 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 really emphasizing trying to get as much consistency out of your training as possible um, and and trying to be out there every day, getting it done every day uh, when you're supposed to be. Uh, he, he is 100% uh, spot on when he said, you gotta take the shovel out of people's hands. The most highly motivated, high-performing athletes are going to get the work done and a good coach has to temper that enthusiasm and reduce that training load in some cases. You know, when I look at, the athletes who have performed at the the very highest levels, I do think there was one thing that has changed from when I used to look for them and, and try to spot them. Initially, it was the the type A who you know would get back at a run and it was 5.93 miles and you know they would start doing laps around the bleachers to ensure they made it to six miles or you know they had a, a 60 minute run and 59.22 wasn't good enough and I thought those are the people that are going to be the best and. The difficulty is with those types of type A individuals is that if something gets them off the rails, if something makes them take a wrong turn, oftentimes they go in a very bad direction. Uh, and They can't handle things not going perfectly. They can't handle being in control over all of it. And towards the later part of my career coaching masters, youth, and, and high school folks, it was looking for the athletes that loved what they were doing regardless of where they were at. And let me let me give a, an explanation for this. Uh, in many cases, I've seen athletes who have been able to be, you know, top five in the state, and in some cases, even state champions or top age group athletes as masters. But when they got to a scenario where things were more challenging, where maybe they were not in the driver's seat, they just kind of threw their hands up because they liked winning or they liked being in control more than the activity that they were doing. Mm. And I think what you find in this environment right now with so many people being forced to alter what their plans have been, you've seen tons of people come out and try this for the very first time, but you've also seen some people unable to handle the stress of all of the changes that have taken place. And as a result, it's the athletes who love what they are doing regardless of whether or not they have that race in October on the schedule or they're just training to train, um, they're out there getting it done. So I, I do think the love of the activity, particularly among adult athletes, is, is incredibly important so that you can maintain that consistency, whether or not your race is canceled or whether or not you have your running buddies or your, your, your cycling group on the weekend or whatever it is to keep you going. Because uh, gosh knows, that's what got me out the door, you know, post-injury so many times is the fact that 
I just love getting out there and going for a run sometimes. And if I was worried about what the pace was or I was worried about keeping up with people around me, I wouldn't do it. So you got to you got to check everything else and and focus on that love and that's going to allow you to be consistent to be able to train. That's awesome. I love that maintain consistency and knowing that that happens if you love that activity. D2, I'm going to ask for your perspective here for those of you who would not otherwise know this a few episodes ago, we talked about the Hot Lana half marathon going to a virtual event. D2 did that virtual event this past weekend. And after an impressive half marathon showing in January, a new PR for him at the Publix Georgia half marathon, he then set a new benchmark all by himself at the virtual Hot Lanta. And so D2, without question, you've been consistent this year. I'm assuming you're loving it at least close to as much as ever. But based on what Coach Heinz just tell, told us, what would you say to that as someone who seems to be finding some success that maybe wasn't necessarily expected when this year began and now in the midst of coronavirus? Um, so for me, I think it was um, signing up for a virtual hat. That was the key. So now there's there's a goal. and you know. You know, you, throwing it out there publicly for one, as as Eric had said, is one um, because you can always sign up for a virtual half marathon or any virtual race and then not do it, right? There isn't any accountability. Um, mm -hmm. You still get the shirt, you still get the medal, right? Because it gets mailed to you in in advance. So there's a little bit of that of saying, okay, I signed up for something. That's one is to get that accountability, and I needed that uh, to a certain extent. I'm fairly consistent with my running. Um, I will admit that, you know, I I didn't do a serious half marathon training program. Um, I haven't done a serious training program since I think uh, my half marathon in January, um, where I think I was a bit more consistent in doing those long miles. Um, but I've got a base fitness um, because I've been running now consistently for, you know, a little over 10 years. So I can easily ramp up to certain distances and not... Uh, really worry about injury. For me, it's more about recovery at this point. So most of my runs were about, you know, anywhere from five to a 10K. And then occasionally I would throw in like an eight miler or a nine miler. I think the last one I did was maybe probably about two, three weeks ago where I did a nine mile trail run, which tends to be a little bit more difficult. And maybe that got me prepared for the half marathon distance. And then what I ended up doing is, you know, kind of, you know, the, the Hotline Half Marathon course, the actual course is hilly. It's hot, A, for sure. Um, it's hilly. That's the other thing. And it's humid. I ended up going out to Columns Drive, um, which is relatively flat. Um, I did go out there by myself, and I went there early to kind of avoid a lot of the heat and a lot of the traffic that typically happens on a Saturday with so many runners and cyclists that are out there. But I also had to be, I had to think through my strategy is how was I going to accomplish this? Because there's no aid station. You know, uh, on a typical course, you have your your aid stations, you got your water, your gels. Um, so I had to think about that. So I actually ended up putting, um, you know, water at, and, and actually I was using Tailwind and I had a couple of gels, uh, Morton gels with me as well. But I placed them at opposite ends of, of uh, Columns Drive so that I had some sort of fluids and that kind of helped me, uh, you know, kind of get this, you know, uh, fast time. I picked a fast course for one, no hills, and then I had fluids uh, along the course that helped me as well, and then had the gel, and then 
you know, to a certain extent, you know, once again, I had, you know, higher performance shoes. I was using the Saucony Endorphin Pro, which, you know, as I'm finding out because of my first carbon plated shoe, it does give you a little bit of an advantage. It will make up for some lack of training is what I'll say. Um, if, if you know how to use it and, and, uh, cause I don't think I could have gotten, uh, that PR, uh, you know, otherwise. Um, but I do think it motivates me to sign up for something in the fall on the colder weather, because I think that if I were to run uh, a similar course, a flat course with temperatures that are 30 to 40 degrees cooler, I could probably knock three to maybe even five minutes off my time if I actually train properly for it, which I didn't really do in this case. I was just consistent because I continue to run anywhere from 20 to 30 miles every single week. So there's that public declaration. You've just put it out there. A fall half marathon, three to five minutes faster. Everybody heard that for sure. Coach Hines, we got a question about whether you keep a written log. So you mentioned writing things down. You didn't specifically mention a log that I know has been really popular for perhaps decades for some runners. Is that a tool that you use? Whenever I have an important buildup, it is. Uh, so my, my daily training right now, I do not, uh, I know I'm checking the box. I'm getting the work done, but if I move into a marathon buildup, I absolutely do. Uh, because there is, there is an intimacy with your training. I think that's maintained. And when you go back and you look back at that and you see how you felt and you can, you can see and feel in your writing, uh, how you are that day, that's not conveyed in your typical posting uh, on, on Strava or, or Garmin app or Polar app or other types of things. So I do have running logs going back 15 years for all of my most important buildups. And when I was training for, uh, say, say Boston this past year, uh, it was 2019 is when I ran it. I went back and I looked at my training from Boston in 2008, which is before I had our first child. Uh, and I could see I was actually on par and, and I felt like I could actually perform at that same level. And I actually ran a little bit faster in 2019. So um, those types of, that, that relationship is a powerful one uh, that you don't get scrolling through. I, I also want to follow up on something D2 said, and I think this connects back to what Matthew said as well with his wonderful baseball analogy. Even though D2 was kind of critical of himself here, saying he wasn't doing you know, proper half marathon training, he was just being consistent, we undervalue that consistency. And hitting those singles and doubles gets the work done. And for the vast majority of us who are, are recreational athletes, and I mean that even for the highest performing recreational athletes, we can get better just with consistency because we're not training uh, 120 miles a week or you know, as a triathlete, we may not be training 30 hours a week or some other things that some of the very top level athletes are doing. So when we consider that you know, in our lives and the stresses that we have from work, from family, from everything else, we're gonna get better if we're consistent and we're recovering. And you're gonna be able to hit that home run on race day. Uh, the analogy I use always is that you know, you're making small deposits into the bank so you can cash that big check on race day. And in the time of COVID, we're not out there banging heads with our buddies, you know, trying to rip off some fast intervals at the local track. We're not going out there on a group ride and trying to hammer every uphill. Um, there, there isn't that pride, which some of us thrive on and love. But what it allows us to do is execute our training the way it is intended to be, you know, the way it has been written without the distraction of everyone else around you, convincing you to 
too often do more. And I'm not sure about anybody else, but my friends don't usually convince me to do less in a workout. I always end up going too fast for too many reps for too long of a run um, than what I intended. And, and you know, with COVID, I've been able to do what I'm supposed to do, and I've been able to build up some fitness uh, from, from almost nothing as a result. Man, I love that. And I love the fact that D2 talked about his 10 plus years. You think about those Boston Marathon appearances, 2008, 2019, with an 11 year span. For those of you who are relatively new to this run, walk, or perhaps ride triathlon lifestyle, it will not be long and you'll have a decade or more of experience behind you. And you will transition from being that person who is just soaking it all in to that individual, everybody at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, incredibly extended family even, is asking for guidance about equipment, about injury prevention or diagnosis, about how to get faster or how to lose a few pounds here and there. So please know that you too are an expert as we talk to some of the experts right now. In fact, Matthew, I want to come back to you because one of the things that I was really looking forward to with this conversation, in addition to our shared enthusiasm for this lifestyle, we're also entrepreneurs. And I think there's probably something that drove you to do this, being Dynamo Multisport, being a love for coaching, not just a love for the lifestyle or perhaps your own personal fitness routine, but a true, genuine, authentic love for coaching. And unless you say, no, Mike, that's not true, that, that was never the case, my question is perhaps going to be very predictable, and that is, what is it that makes you love it so much, whether it is for this entirety of time that's now gone by, 10 plus years, or whether it's something today that you love more than what you used to or never even thought of because it changes, but it's still this love for coaching? You know, Mike, I think... It's funny, we, we've we been on Wednesday mornings at Dynamo, what we've been doing is we've been getting a, uh, getting the whole group together on these Zoom calls just to create some more community. Um, everybody's, you know, everybody's really longing for uh, the community that we've built there and so much of our culture is just based around that community. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's, our, that's our talk for tomorrow is we're having all of our coaches on and we're talking about why we got into coaching, why we why we do what we do. And besides the, you know, the nine figure salary that I think Eric and I are commanding, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the real reason why we do it you know, or why I do it is the relationships. It's that it's that personal relationship that you develop with your athletes and watching somebody really be vulnerable with not only themselves, but with you, you know, sharing goals and establishing goals and communicating those goals. Those are, that's some of the most vulnerable things you can do as a human being. And when you're vulnerable with somebody, I think the connection there is incredibly, not only intense, but it's incredibly fortified. And, Watching someone put trust in you and vice versa, putting trust in someone else, being vulnerable together and putting it all out on race day and seeing them accomplish their goals or being with them when they don't accomplish their goals. That's uh, it's 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 
it's a visceral type thing. Um, so it's those relate at the end of the day, Mike, it's the relationships. It, it, it's that shared experience, that shared vulnerability that really has it really hooked me from the beginning and continues to hook me today. You know, when I, I don't know if, if you guys ever, or Eric in particular, I don't know if you ever get worried about how the, the machines are coming for our jobs, right? The algorithms are going to start taking all this data, all these wearable devices that we have, all the data that we can accumulate um, that will be able to create workouts and really monitor people to tell them real time what they should be doing. At the end of the day, I don't worry about the algos coming for coming for us. Um, I just think that the humanity of being able to share uh, share a personalized experience is something that you just can't get otherwise. Wow, that's awesome. I would imagine not just as a coach, but also as an athlete. We perhaps have seen athletes at every level who have elected to go it on their own. And my guess is the results have been somewhere between mixed and poor. Certainly the ones that I can think of that were more public figures in terms of their athletic capabilities, those were the results. What I'm going to ask is that you guys help us who perhaps are not going to be at the level, anywhere close to the level that you are. But at some point, youth soccer will resume. I am going to be a parent volunteer coach for my daughter's cross-country team. There are those who have interest, even if they're never called coach. Instead, they're called mom or dad or caring neighbor, but they know they have the opportunity to pour into a young, maybe even as Coach Heinz said, recreational athlete. What are some of the things that you would say, and, and Matthew, I'm going to stay with you on this. What are some of the things you would say, would say for those of us at the onset to be hyper-mindful of, to take real notice of in order, even if as a volunteer or a very temporary basis, to be the best we can at a coaching influence or role that we might play? You know, Mike, it's a great question. And I think, you know, especially working with youth in youth sports, and Eric can speak much more closely to this than I can, because um, I work with adults exclusively, but I also uh, I also help out with my kids' sports teams as well. Um, I think there's a couple things, there's a couple critical components here. And this, this for me personally, this is not only just youth athletes, recreational athletes, amateur athletes, but also the very, the very pointy edge here um, with high performers is look at, look at the person first look at this person that's sitting in front of you as a person as a human being first and not as an athlete really you want to be identifying them identifying with them as a human being and if you start there i think you can you you, you take some of that edge off you're not hyper focused on the outcomes and that kind of dovetails into what i was what i'm going to say next is be very process oriented, focus on the process of learning, focus on the process of getting better, um, and don't be fixated on outcomes. Outcomes are just a result of, of executing the process. So with kids in particular, it's gotta be fun, focus on the process of fun, um, and don't worry about the outcomes. 
Coach Heinz, what would, would you add to that or what would you reinforce? Because I do think that there are far more coaches out there than what we might say, because oftentimes they're not necessarily called coach or they might not even give themselves the compliment they deserve by calling themselves a coach. But yet there is that desire or perhaps even that expectation. Coach Rose can speak for me. I think the rest of this call, he has done so well. And we see the world in very similar ways. Uh, I, I must echo that this is a process and not an outcome. And early in my own coaching career, I'm willing to admit uh, the competitive edge of me made it about the outcome. And I'll tell you what, we didn't win. When you focus on the outcome, which more often than not you cannot control, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. But particularly with new athletes and young athletes in particular, we want them to embrace that process of improvement, embrace the, the, the process of becoming better, uh, that what's training does for us, and falling in love with that experience. And it's the same thing that happened to me in my classroom. You know, I was a history teacher for a long time. In the grand scheme of things, it does not truly matter if someone knows, you know, what the treaty was that ended the 30 years war. Uh, more important, I want them to fall in love with the act of learning, that process of learning, and then they can find their own outcomes. So when I was coaching my son's youth soccer team for the first time this fall, you know, we emphasized how do we acknowledge those, those kids who embodied the efforts that we were looking for and who modeled the behaviors that we were looking for, not necessarily the kid who was scoring the most goals, because that was readily apparent every time someone got on the field who was gonna score the most goals. Just like in most races, triathlon or running or anything in between, it's pretty apparent early on who's gonna be at the front of that pack. And we all kind of know where we are. But if we teach people to love that process and to engage, you know, embrace this experience that we all have, we're gonna be much better for it. I think the second thing I would say uh, is simply as a coach, it's not about you. And for so many of us, we make it about us. And you can see that again with what coach is on the podium or what coach is the one receiving the trophy for the, the 10 year old soccer players. You know, when it's about the kids, as a coach, we have to be willing to humble ourselves, to take that step back and to allow those athletes to shine and, and to take responsibility when, when it is our fault for things, but when there's success, it is, it is all about those athletes and what they have accomplished and what they have done. So getting out of the way and making sure it's about the athlete you're working with, incredibly important. But uh, if anything, if those athletes take away this process, uh, they're going to succeed at so many things and they can transfer what they've learned training for triathlon to the business world or to basketball, if that's what they choose to do next or whatever it happens to be. Um, so definitely process oriented. And I, I got to give credit to Matthew that and Nick Saban, of course, too, for being a huge <laughs> proponent of it. So you are leading the questioning, I'm almost ready to turn the interviewing duties over to you because you managed to tip two questions on that answer. So just know there's more coming. One of the questions coming to you, gentlemen, is going to be about how what you've learned, what you've seen 
also translates or applies to other aspects of life because I think it's easy to use sports, to use training, to in, use endurance activities as a metaphor for life. But you guys have an up close and very personal view on whether that's true or where it's true that you can share with us. So just know that that's coming. But we had a great question from Bob and then will you let us again, Cotine? So I'm gonna start with you as your reference to Nick Saban and his question, even though I'm not necessarily expecting or suggesting that he would be your answer, but what coaches do you kind of say are in your background as those that you might've learned from, even if you didn't personally know them or that you emulate because of the fact that you coached near them or close enough to the point where you could actually observe and learn from them? So I always refer to this as your coaching tree. Uh, sort of who you started with and, and, and hopefully over your career, who you helped become a coach uh, so that you have uh, six degrees of separation from some of the greatest coaches of all time. If you look back on it, you can kind of play it with, uh, it's like the Kevin Bacon game with coaches. Uh, but I, I had a handful and I, if you're giving me the opportunity, I'm going to have to speak to him. Um, my, my first cross country coach, Jim Leffler, who knew almost nothing about running, but who knew people more than anything, and he allowed me to fall in love with an activity that I frankly was not good at, uh, and was not good at for the first four or five years of my career. But uh, he helped me learn that this was about relationships and the experiences that you shared with others. And that was one of the powerful things I brought to my coaching practice because you know, when you have 150 kids on a cross country team, only 14 of them are likely to be at the state meet. How does number 142 connect? What's their takeaway, right? And it's gonna be through those relationships and through those experiences. Um, the, the second person I will mention is my, my college cross country coach. Uh, his name was Dick Mann uh, and he was a phenomenal human being uh, and he was a terrible coach. Uh, <laughs> and I think I can <laughs> laugh about it with him right now because uh, I remember running down the streets of Cleveland, Ohio and he was in a, uh, uh, a hatchback, uh, I can't remember if it was a Chevette, I think it was a Chevette, I mean it was an ancient hatchback and he's driving down the road and he's like, Heinz, you're going 15 miles per hour. I'm like, coach, no I'm not. Like that's a four minute mile, I, I am not going you know, 15 miles per hour. You're doing it Heinz, you can do it. I'm like, coach, this is an easy run, you know, like you, you gotta do the math to recognize what's going on here. And so while he coached actually countless All-Americans in the hurdles and the, in the shot and disc and in the 400 meters, he didn't know distance running. And uh, again, he emphasized that this is you know, about relationships. And I knew the stuff that we were doing was off the wall. You know, Percy Cerruti kind of sandbag kind of stuff, you know, carrying up sand dunes and things. Uh, but if you care enough for what you're doing and you care enough for the team that you're a part of, uh, you're gonna run through walls for the guy. Uh, but more importantly, he's the one that you know encouraged me to start educating myself through my own coaching and my own my own reading. But the the third person I'm going to mention, this is the final one, uh, was Coach Roy Benson, who was a very important part of my life. Uh, he was a longtime Atlanta coach. Uh, he retired down to Amelia Island about 12 years ago, and uh, he was a guy who had coached at the very highest levels. He's had people in you know, the Olympics. He coached high school national champions and everything in between. Uh, but he showed me that the art of coaching is taking that science 
and applying it to that specific individual. And that's something that Matthew had mentioned before, you know, looking at the humanity of, of who you're working with and that, that deep personal relationship you establish, but also recognizing that their needs, their wants, their weaknesses, their strengths, what motivates them, all of those are entirely different. And what may work to coach one person may not work to coach the other for an infinite number of reasons. But you as a coach have to paint that picture, that, that portrait of them, you know, that, that individualizes it if they're ever going to reach their potential. Uh, and so the science is important, but those relationships, just, just invaluable. And then your ability as a coach to custom make it, to tailor it to that individual is what's going to really help get them to that next level. Wow, what a terrific answer. And to be able to take it through your own journey, high school, college, and then now as a professional coach yourself, just to give everyone a snapshot of Roy Benson. I'm going to share my screen as I do so. I know, Matthew, you also have influences in your life that now are being shared, maybe very consistent with that term that Eric used, the coaching tree. But you'll see Roy Benson, how to spell his name if you've not heard that name before. He certainly has had tremendous influence, not just on coaches, but also so many athletes, has some history here in Atlanta. So certainly if you've not heard of him, I would suggest doing your own research. I think alongside Coach Heinz, all of us can continue to learn for him, from him. And then, of course, for those of you that need to see this to know what he was talking about, that is what a Chevette looks like. That is a car that I've not heard from in a long time. So there it is. That's what a Chevette is. We should be perhaps somewhat happy. Those are no longer on the road. But Matthew, how about you? Where are some of the influences that you claim? You know, I if I'm just going to follow Coach Heinz's lead and go through high school, college, and, and my first job right after college, um, those would be the three three different coaches who I would say are the biggest influences. My, my high school coach was a gentleman, Dick Fadgen, who uh, he brought kind of the – the old school 1970s mileage mentality to our swim program. And if anything, what he instilled was, you know, nothing beats good old fashioned aerobic work day in, day out, good old fashioned aerobic work. And, you know, when you're, when you're working with newer athletes, you know, I, I, I keep on, I think, Eric and I keep on beating the same drum here, but we're talking about consistency. When you're working with newer athletes in particular, it's really hard to screw up an athlete when they first come through the door if you're just having them do consistent aerobic work. You don't have to be fancy with them. They don't have to be doing a bunch of speed work. They don't have to be getting on the track and doing 2200s or wherever they 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 the some of the the thrill of training comes in but just doing good old-fashioned consistent aerobic work threshold and below you'll get better and that's that's one of the things i learned from 
from my high school coach. My my college coach was the person who really taught me about coaching the person, seeing the humanity in people. He 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 while he liked outcomes, it was probably the fifth thing on his list of priorities. His number one priority was making sure that you as an individual, you as a person, were getting your own personal needs met. You know, second in line behind that was you as a student. You know, he he really embodied what a student athlete was. Um, and he he valued that above anything else besides that of the humanity and and the athlete themselves. And then the third person would be, you know, my first job after I graduated from school was I went out to to Stanford and was the low man on the totem pole and the coaching staff out there. And just some background on this person, this gentleman named Richard Quick. He uh, at one point, I think when I went out to him, he Stanford had gotten second in NCAs that year. And that was the first year, I think, out of maybe 10 or 11 years where Richard, one of Richard's teams had not won the national championship. Prior to Stanford, he was at Texas, and he went over from Texas to Stanford. And he had just been churning out national championship team after national championship team. So being on staff with him was like being on staff with – uh, it, with <laughs> with John Lennon and the and, and the Beatles, the guy was just nonstop intensity. And when we talk about consistency with athletes, consistency with coach coaching is critical as well. Um, emotionally, he was as consistent of a person I've ever seen. Just the level of intensity that he brought to every practice was unbelievable. Um, and this gentleman was, was a remarkable, remarkable coach for that intensity alone. Um, he, he wasn't a, he wasn't a genius. He, uh, I wouldn't say he was cutting edge per se on, you know, how he, uh, how he constructed a season's program, but he did two things incredibly well. He was incredibly consistently intense. And the second thing was he was always, always open to new ideas. When he walked through the door, he did not think he was the smartest guy on deck. All right. He always was open to feedback. He was always open to learning about new things and taking interesting concepts and trying to apply them to his squad. So, you know, he easily could have rested on his laurels and done the same thing year in, year out, but he recognized that, you know, that your program and your athletes had to evolve in order to, to get the, the best out of them. Coach Rose, I, I think what you just said is, is such a nice nugget of information. And I know we're, we're moved towards coaching and away from training, but uh, if you go to the annual so cross-country coaches clinic, the best programs, the teams that win year in and year out, are the coaches who are at the clinic still learning. And the teams that are always saying, I don't know how we get to that other level, I don't know how other people do it, 
are the ones who've more often than not come to the conclusion they have all the answers and then there's just something else that's keeping them to get to that next level. That, that desire for a coach to keep educating themselves even if they don't learn a thing but they pick someone's brain and they learn and go, wow, maybe I'm not going to do that or that's probably a bad idea. It's still a frame of mind of embracing that process as a coach that it's a never ending piece. You never quite make it. You can always keep getting better and keep learning uh, through all the different various areas that make up sort of your, your coaching repertoire. So great insight. Well, and I'm going to stay here because one of the things I wanted to ask both of you, and so Coach Heinz, I'll start with you. And that is obviously now you're part of the terrific team over at the Atlanta Track Club. And as director of high performance, I know you have targets. I know perhaps there's been a bit of an interruption in some of the things that you were working on, whether day to day or month in and month out earlier this year. But as you kind of look out across the bow, what are some of the things that you see, whether it's for yourself, for those in your care as that high performance coach or for the Atlanta Track Club, quite frankly, as we kind of carry ourselves through the remainder of 2020 and in the future, what is keeping you busy and what are you all amped up about? Well, of course, there was this thing called Peachtree, uh, the AJC Peachtree Road Race, which will be happening on Thanksgiving now. Uh, that That's kept us up at night for a while, uh, but we're, we're glad that we have that going in the right direction. And uh, we're proud that the nation's biggest running holiday is going to feature the world's largest 10K. So it's a very big piece, but more to my specific department with high performance. We're excited about trying to get our Olympic development athletes back out and competing. You know, even though the Olympics were postponed to next year, uh, there there is likely going to be some form of a national championships in September um, for track and field. So we're aiming for that. And for our marathon runners, we're uh, very hopeful that some of the world marathon majors will still continue. Uh, and then we'll have a couple athletes running in Chicago again, you know, hoping to, to sneak under that, that mystical 210 barrier. But looking down the ranks um, to our youngest participants, for us, you know, we did lose a lot of inertia with our youth programs this spring uh, in that really none of them took place. And I know this is how it is with, with so many other programs, uh, you know, for youth. Uh, but that's a challenge because keeping that ball rolling, that consistency of experience is really important, particularly when you're utilizing volunteers. And we are lucky to have so many committed volunteers. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure if, if Matthew can speak to this, but, you know, one of the first times you have, you know, a break away from coaching, it's really hard to get back out there sometimes because it is such an all-consuming experience. That's why it's so rewarding. Uh, but uh, we're going to work really hard to ensure that we get those youth programs up and going again this spring, or I'm sorry, this fall. And the last piece I'll say is, you know, we are excited about trying to put out our new in-training products for our adults. And uh, we've particularly tried to appeal to a wider variety of, of athletes, ranging from runners and walkers who are beginning for the very first time to more high-level, high-performing athletes. So we've added additional layer, uh, layers to our training that athletes can sign up for. And we want to, we want to get back together again. Uh, so while we have pivoted and, and really created, I think, some robust virtual programming for the first time in our experience, uh, it's a, it's, it's just good to be with each other uh, and, and to celebrate those victories and to, you know, uh, to hug each other after our failures. 
that that community piece is really important. And this Zoom call is awesome, but I think we would all love to be in the same pub, you know, with a pint in front of us, sharing the table, uh, and and just allowing the conversation to flow. So that's that's our, our third piece. Now I will say one more, and that uh, I'm very excited about our expanding uh, partnership with Atlanta Public Schools. We have successfully really helped to uh, to enhance the sort of the professional development of Atlanta Public Schools coaches, and to enhance their invitations and meets. Uh, and this fall, if everything goes as planned, we're going to be expanding that program to include a handful of APS middle schools as well. So we're really excited about giving back to our community because uh, we believe there's an immense amount of talent right here in our backyard. And we want to see uh, APS athletes on the podium at the state cross country meet and at the state track and field meets as well. So there's a lot happening, uh, but uh, that's what that's what keeps us going, you know. I would expect nothing less. Wow, that is very cool. You're even giving me some headlines I was unaware of. Love to hear that with Atlanta Public Schools. Very, very cool. And of course, I, uh, I'm impressed that you went ahead and mentioned Peachtree. I figured you might have to, given that we had, I don't know, he might be your intern, Rich Kana. He, we had him on the line the day after the announcement of moving it to Thanksgiving. So he spoke very highly of that decision, but was very transparent in how difficult it had been for the organization to get there. But it sounds like you guys are back at it. And now for however many weeks it is, there is still a lot of work to be done. There is. And, and Rich has done an excellent job captaining our ship uh, and, and steering us in that right direction. But it was uh, a five-week process to determine the best weekend and best date for the AGC Peachtree Road Race. And uh, it's not until you sit down with a calendar that you realize just how busy Atlanta is in the fall. Uh, and, you know, so when you, when you think of everything from uh, college football in uh, the Ben Stadium to the Pride Festivals and Dogwood Festivals, Music Midtown, you name it, uh, the city is alive. And uh, we're excited that Thanksgiving is going to be an opportunity to celebrate family and to celebrate running uh, with the AGC Peachtree Road Race. Well, I didn't realize this beforehand, but for those who have not heard it, check out episode 880 of the Run ATL podcast. Of course, I was joking. Rich is the executive director at Atlanta Track Club as well as the race director for the AGC Peachtree Road Race. He probably takes training tips, maybe a few orders from Coach Heinz, but he is the authority for sure, along with the rest of his team on that event. And Matthew, we paired Rich with one of your athletes, Haley Chura. So you guys are kind of Kevin Bacon already in the fact that there are these random degrees <laughs> of separation. But I want to ask you as well, and that is what's going on? I mean, I look at you and admire you, not just as a coach and as a personality in our community, but also, like I said earlier, an entrepreneur and someone who is doing some really cool things, not just on behalf of an athlete, but quite frankly, athletes everywhere. So as you kind of look into the future, what geeks you out and maybe even keeps you up at night? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Mike. My, my wife asks me that, uh, seems like every week. So <laughs> I don't have a consistent answer for you or for her as well. Um, <laughs> before I even address that, I want to I want to probably speak for all of us on this call about how much I, how proud I am of what the Atlanta track club's doing in our community. 
the last real event that I attended in person was marathon trials. And I can't tell you how many people I spoke to directly or conversations I overheard as I was standing there on Peachtree Street um, watching the athletes come by, people just oohing and on about how great of an event this was. Spoke to several coaches who said, compared to other trials events they'd been to, how wonderful the experience was through the track club. So, Eric, I'm sure you were involved. <laughs> you were incredibly involved with that. But congratulations on that event. Um, the work that you're doing with the track club with APS, I think, is critical. You probably have a real opportunity during this this time of change that we're all experiencing right now to make a real impact on not only the coaches through your mentorship program, but in particular the athletes. So well done on you guys. Well done on you guys. You know, Mike, you know, going back to your original question, right now there's it's a time of change at Dynamo, and I am taking a step back. You've had Coach Brent Pease on the pod yeah. before. Uh, he's doing great work with his brother and um, the foundation they have, the Kyle Pease Foundation. Uh, I, I am personally taking a step back. Brent's kind of coming, not kind of, Brent's stepping into my role as the face of the organization. And I'm more just acting as a, as a true mentor to him in particular as he starts to lead Dynamo, as we call it, Dynamo 3.0. Um, he, he's he's going to be the, the face and the leader of, of our program moving forward and establishing his own unique, uh, unique flavor, if you will, to the culture that we've established there. So as, as I transition away from being the face of Dynamo, um, I'm more and more, honestly, more and more involved with what's going on in our home and with our kids and making sure their needs are met. Um, you know, not to get incredibly personal, but my wife's got a really thriving law practice that she established three years ago. It's taken off and it's also allowed me to take a step back and be more of the, the point person at home. And uh, I'm doing that on a more regular basis now and, and absolutely loving it. Absolutely loving it. So I get to be more dad and more coach dad, if you will, uh, these days. And what the future evolves from there, I'm not exactly sure. But uh, I'm, I'm keep on keep my eyes and ears open and looking forward to finding the next thing, whatever it may be. That's awesome. And a perfect segue into the final question that I have for you guys. And I said it was coming. So even if you didn't have an answer coming into the pub, you might now. But I think it's an appropriate place to leave for now, even though it is certainly not one of those things that we would suggest anyone has all the answers. And as D2 and I have said before, man, we hope that when you listen to this broadcast, more oftentimes than not, you are in the midst of your workout. You are getting ready to get that workout in. You are in the afterglow of whatever your fitness routine was for the day. 
But what we all know, what we all hear perhaps too often, even as cliche, are all the analogies about training, about sports, about endurance and fitness that then carry over to everyday life. Both of these coaches have three kids of their own. Obviously, that means they are very much involved with their family. They are part of longstanding, and as you've already heard, very accomplished organizations. They make commitments and contributions beyond the walls of Dynamo or Atlanta Track Club in their communities. They are getting it done. And so I would rem be remiss not to ask, what is that analogy that is true about being a coach, what you've seen or what you teach that has application well beyond wherever the athletic performance is being done? And Matthew, I'm going to go ahead and start with you because you did such a great job of reminding us how important it is for those of us who have families, who have children to not just be involved, but to savor and get the most from those experiences as well. And my guess is part of why you know that to be true and part of how you're doing it. And what I would say or suggest is probably really, really well is because of your background as a coach and being around all of these athletes and being an athlete yourself. So what would you say is that application that carries over into the other parts of your life and mine and all of our listeners. That's a that's really Mike the kind of the crux I think of so much of just sport in general. What's the appealing part of sport um, and why I love sports as a whole. It doesn't matter if it's running, if it's triathlon, basketball, soccer, whatever it may be. Uh, it, it's those connections between sport and life. I think the biggest thing for me personally, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to that consistency message, is so much of success is just about showing up on a consistent basis. And my dad, my dad one time told me this, and I, I don't know how old I was, maybe immediately after I graduated from college, I can't remember, he probably was telling me this all my life, but I wasn't mature enough to listen to him. But you don't, you know, what he used to tell me was, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the world. All right. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. You just need to be the guy who shows up and is consistent all the time that you're just you're going to advance naturally. As long as you're consistent emotionally, as long as you're consistent intellectually, um, you know, you're going to advance from that from that mere fact of being the person that is reliable. You know, you're going to continue to show up and show up and show up. Um, and that applies in anything you do. It doesn't matter <laughs> if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a, a computer engineer. It doesn't matter what profession that you're in. That consistency on a day-to-day -day basis in your work product, in your emotional product, is, is going to get you much, much farther than intellect alone. Well, I love those two words together, show up. And even more so than consistency, they have to mean something and you can't fake it. You either showed up or you didn't. Coach Heinz, what about you? What would you say is that easy to transition guidance for both athletes and all of us every day? Well, I'm going to try to boil it down to two words as well, but I have a story that leads into it. 
<laughs> and it was November of 2008. Uh, we had just completed the region championships, and uh, our boys' cross-country team had just perfect scored our region meet. We went one, two, three, four, five, which is wow. almost unheard of. And uh, ex incredibly excited going into the state championships. Uh, there's a senior that, by the name of David Connolly who was the favorite to win the state championship. We're out there in Carrollton. It's a, it's a perfect day, that, the way you would imagine any fall day in, in Atlanta would be. And we, we have our race plan. You know, the gun goes off. David goes to the front. Uh, as you would imagine, uh, he executes his plan perfectly a mile and a half in the start of the second loop. He breaks away. He, he leads his team to victory. Da David finished first place, state champion. We placed five guys in the top 10. Uh, you have these moments afterwards where you're celebrating as a team, and you have to walk over to the award ceremony. And as a team, we, we walk over and we're all sitting down. We, we know what the results are. We know the outcome. But they, they are announcing fourth place is blah, blah, blah. In third place, it's blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm going, man, this is incredible. But wait until next year. I can't believe we return, you know, six of our top seven. This is going to be amazing. And this 17-year-old this kid, David Connolly, he, he just won the state championship. He turns around and looks at me in the eye and he says, coach, just be present. Be present. And I was so caught up in thinking about the next year with, with building a legacy or, or what more we can accomplish that here I was, this was the first state championship I would have ever won as a coach, and I was not even in the same place as him. I had my head so far away. And those two words, be present, are key because these are things that we are doing that we love that we love and we need to in, you know, be present with that activity, be present on our easy runs, be present you know, when you are uh, stretching afterwards or, and just be there. Because if you're only thinking about your race six months ago or the workout you did three days ago that didn't go well, you're not gonna enjoy any of this. And all that advice that Coach Rose had given out before about being consistent, about you know showing up, uh, but about uh, ensuring that we are taking these things one step at a time, requires you to be present and and to to be in that moment. You won't find joy in this sport if you only live in the future or in the past. So uh, I took that to heart, and I've tried to live that in my life. So I'm. I'm the guy who's who's incredibly critical of those folks trying to film the concert that they're at with their cell phone. Because it's like, you just paid to be at this concert. You should be at the concert. Stop filming it and be here. You know, uh, I, I don't document much because I try to just be there and be a part of it. And I think sport can teach us that. Be, be present for your failures. Be present for the successes. But be in the moment in all of them. And I think you'll find so much more joy in what you do. Wow, that is amazing. I almost wonder if you two got together behind our back to pair those up so perfectly. But I will say in a brief close, because I do not want to take away from what we just heard. Yes, these are two of the best coaches I know. 
but sometimes it is difficult to take in too much too soon and do something meaningful with it. But whether it is in your training, whether it is in your workplace, whether it is in your family or your neighborhood or some other pursuit that has meaning, rightful meaning to you, if you show up and you are present, you just be present, you will make real progress and you will make a difference. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. It is a pleasure not just to serve in the same industry, but to call you guys friends. Certainly an honor having had you in Peachy's Pub this evening. Coach Heinz, I like your idea. Let's do this in person next time. You got it. We'd love it. D2, as always, we got a wrap. Last call has come and gone. It's closing time. Cheers. What a great conversation. Cheers. What a great conversation it is. Again, we will be back next Tuesday, 6 p.m. for all of you listening on the Run ATL podcast. Through the 4th of July, our own tradition. We're doing this every week, so check us out every Monday in the month of June. And in the meantime, as we always say, as we certainly meet, may your best miles be those covered on foot.